All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for this time to be together for your word. Uh, We look forward to hearing you as you speak to us. And we pray, Father, that you would give us um, understanding and discernment, that your spirit would teach us. Um, We've been grateful for this season to look at David's life. And as we kind of bring things to a close, help us to remember the greater purpose of why you worked in David's life. Um, We're so grateful for your grace, God. That you meet us in our need and that you are faithful and you never give up on us. And so may we um, be encouraged and reminded of your everlasting love. And be encouraged to leave this place strengthened in our walk with you and encouraged to face another day knowing that you are the good and faithful one. And so can uh, may your spirit work in my heart uh, as I bring forth your word. And may our ears be sensitive and our hearts uh, fruitful ground for what you want to do. And we'll give you the praise because we know, Lord, that you're with us. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. And while I was standing here, um, I kind of had like a distracted moment. So Jerry and Vivian Rogers are here. I didn't see him come in. Oh, it's so good to see you guys. If you don't know Jerry and Vivian, uh, they're missionaries with Crossworld. Um, and we've been supporting them for a good long time. Um, but more than that, he's been a good friend and a resource. And so it's good to see you guys. So, so one of the things that I appreciate about Scripture is the way that it helps us to understand the big picture of the people that we read about. Yeah, I've often thought if I'm the person in the, the text of the, the account of their lives, whether it be Moses or um, David or, you know, any of the judges or Joshua or any of the people that we come in contact with, like in those moments, they they have no clue what the, the bigger picture is. They're going through life. They're facing the, the challenges that we read about. They're, we're seeing their faith kind of like being spotlighted. And, you know, for us, we get that, that 30,000 foot view and it's like, okay, we see how all the dots connect, but they don't. Um, as, as we often see, as people were going through great challenges, great struggles, great challenges of their faith, they're often wondering what the fulfillment is going to be. Hebrews chapter 11 clues us into this. And in that chapter that we call the hall of faith, the author of Hebrews brings us through from Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Samson, like a a whole list of people that believed God, didn't understand the full understanding of the promise that was theirs, but they believed God and they walked by faith. And yet not everything went well for them. 
Not everything was easy. Hebrews 11.39 teaches us that the people lived by faith and have not yet received what was promised. Like, think about that. Because we so often want to take God at His word and receive what He has promised. Thinking, I'll do, I'll perform, and God will respond. But it doesn't often work that way. Sometimes, God invites us to exercise the greatest faith in circumstances that will absolutely crush us and bring us to the end of ourselves. And there is no an emergency break glass kind of thing where we can just pull the, pull the lever and help will come. And I, I think about that in the context of David's life as we have been looking at this journey of this narrative of this shepherd boy that God used in a mighty way. But in a bigger picture, it reminds me that all of history was and is pointing towards the promise and return of Jesus Christ. That our lives in faith are not waiting for our future glory. It's not about us. It's not even about the good things that we're going to receive in heaven. It's not about the rewards and joy and all the good that will be given to those who are in the faith. Life is about Jesus. And everything is to point towards the King. In fact, for us, our blessed hope is His appearing. We long for His return. We long for the King to restore His kingdom. And while our lives matter very much to God, and He wants to bless, He wants to work, He wants to rescue. And while He loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins, it's all about Him. He came so that we could return to Him. He is glorified when His creation is restored and can enjoy freedom and relationship and fellowship. It's been said that every person who has a gravestone has something in common. Two dates and a dash. One when you're born. One date when you're born. One date when you die. And in between the dash. And the most important part of every life aren't the dates, but it's the dash. It's how you live. It's the life in between. David, this man after God's own heart that we've been studying since January, 
is one of the people that is listed in Hebrews 11. Living and serving and eventually dying for a greater purpose. Something, and more importantly, someone greater than he. David's dash was significant. We spent a lot of time developing those events in his life that were going on where God used him in a mighty way to bring about God's purposes, to advance God's promises. And we know that David was far from perfect. He made some terrible mistakes. But he was always met with grace as he returned to the Lord. And this week, I asked you all what God taught you through our study in David's life. And if you got that email and you ignored it, now you know why I sent it. Um, But for those that responded, I appreciated reading your responses. And I'm just going to summarize some of these things. Uh, The summary was that you all appreciate the fact that David had a heart for God, was like us. And when he sinned, he found his way back to the Lord through the grace that God provided Some of you also commented that it was encouraging to see David's passion, his heart to serve God, and that God can use the smallest and weakest person to do great things for him. That all God wants us to do is trust him. And so as we close this look into David's life, what I want to do is I want to look, I want to just um, reference Two final verses that give us the end date on David's cemetery stone. And then we're going to look into the New Testament. And one of the wonderful things about Scripture, as I said, is to be able to look into the New Testament through the lens of the cross and look back into the Old Testament and see why God was doing what he was doing. Because we get great purpose in it. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the author of 2 Kings simply states that David slept with his fathers and reigned for 40 years. He fulfilled God's promise and he fell asleep. That's it. That's the end of his life. David was a king for 40 years. Mightily serving God, trusting God, praising God, being used by God to advance his purposes. And then his time was up and he fell asleep. That's it. End of story. End of a life. But we know. That when David fell asleep, David had great confidence that in that instant, in that moment, he was going to be in the house of the Lord forever. His confidence was in the strength of God to restore him. And David right now is dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, awaiting a future purpose with God. There's more for David to do, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want us to consider the place this man who was after God's own heart had from God's perspective. I want us to see how this passage that we're going to 
kind of spend a minute thinking through, uh, develops and explains David's place and purpose. And as a result, understand that what we do with our lives matters. What you do with your life matters. Your name may not be on a billboard. Hundreds and thousands and millions of people might not know who you are. You might not have a large following on social media like that matters. But your life matters. You are precious to God. And where God has you in the moment that he has you. Can be. And should be used for his glory. If we miss this in David's life, we've really missed the main point of why David was used. And if we, if we miss this from this passage, it's quite possible that we will continue to waste the great purpose that God has for us. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Again, we're looking at a New Testament passage that gives us insight into the why David was used by God. We're going to begin in verse 13. Um, I, I want to give you a super quick background context of what's going on in Acts 13. If you know anything about the book of Acts, you know that it was written by Dr. Luke who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if you could put a theme over the book of Acts, it would be God's power in the church. It's the historical narrative of how God started the church. Like where we are today finds its roots in what we read here. And so in this book, as the Gospel is going forth, based on the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples who became apostles to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the world. That within a short amount of time, as the gospel was going forth, the gospel met a man named Saul. Who was a persecutor of the church. Who jailed people for believing in Jesus and who cast his vote to martyr people who believed in Jesus. And this man Saul, on a way of persecuting more Christians, was met by a bright light and a tender voice. And his life was changed. And that man Saul became the Apostle Paul. And as Paul was called by God and found grace in Jesus Christ, and as his life was changed, here this murderous, persecuting, legalistic, the God of the Old Testament is superior to the God of the New Testament kind of thinking person had his world turned upside down. 
he was so transformed by the grace of God that he spent the rest of his life telling every person he could come in contact with about the grace of Jesus Christ. And the, the rest of the book of Acts, primarily, primarily, not altogether, but primarily focuses on Paul's journeys and bringing the gospel message to new people that need to hear the saving love of Jesus Christ. Acts 13 is a uh, chronology and theology of his first trip that he went on to tell people about Jesus. It begins with him preaching the gospel on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And as he left that island, the island of Crete, he made his way to the north. And I I don't have any maps this week, but if you've ever seen the Mediterranean Sea, how it sits right next to Israel in the Middle East, just go north of the sea and he's in that region. It's actually the region he grew up in, the region of Tarsus. And so as Paul is preaching the gospel, we read in verse 13, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. So as Paul is preaching the gospel, and as he enters this new area with the message of Jesus, where does he go first? He goes to the Jewish people. He goes to the synagogue. It's the synagogue day. And the Jews are gathering. And Paul is Jewish. So he goes to the synagogue. And he sits down. And after reading the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Boy, that open mics are dangerous things. (laughs) Right? Um, In in the community of faith in the Old Testament, or uh, that was rooted in the Old Testament, the Jewish people would gather and You know, Paul was an esteemed figure as a Pharisee. And he's in this group. And the people that lead the group, the rabbis, say to him, Paul, do you have anything for us to hear? And he's like, you bet. There's a lot you need to hear. And there's a lot I need to share with you. And that reminds me, Just very quickly, um, boy, the Lord gives us so many opportunities in life. Like he opens the door. He provides the platform. And I would just encourage you when he does that, walk through it. Be ready. Listen to his spirit. And point people to Jesus. And so. Verse 16. Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand. I, I don't know what this looked like. You know. If he is, maybe, maybe he had some Italian blood in him. And he talks with his hands a lot. You know. Uh, and my wife comes from an Italian family. And there's lots of this. And 
I'll hear about it later. I just won't stand close to her as she. So, anyways, um, Paul says, motioning with his hand, "Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen." So I love what he said because in the synagogue there's going to be all sorts of groups of people. There's, the majority of the people are going to be the people from Israel, but there would be people from the community that might be sensitive to the God of Israel. And Paul says to them, men of Israel and you who fear God, those who are leaning in towards God, I I want you to hear these things. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it for a period of 40 years. He put up with them in the wilderness when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years after these things. He gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And so he's bringing them through the Old Testament, their history, where they came from. Like, you need to understand as a Jewish person, uh, being a Jewish person isn't just a faith thing, it's not a religion. They're a nation, they have a background, they have a history. And Paul is making this connection with them and he takes them back to the very beginning, the origin story of what God was doing. Now, he starts in the book of Exodus, but you could even go further back from Moses and you can go into Abraham, the father of their faith. But he starts and he says, listen, we all know where we came from. God prospered them in the nation of Egypt to the point that Pharaoh Didn't know what to do with them. So he oppresses them harder and harder because he's afraid. And through this man named Moses, God delivers the people through plagues, through his power. And he breaks Pharaoh's will. And so the nation runs off towards the promised land, their land. The land God has for them. But it didn't go so well. So for a period of 40 years, he put up with them. That's a, that's a wonderful phrase. I can't imagine how many times God has put up with me. But he's faithful. He's merciful. God doesn't change his uh, promises based on our performance, our conduct. God is not flippant. He's not easily persuaded. When God makes promises, he keeps those promises. Remember that. Because you might be going through a season of life where you wonder if God is going to keep his promise. So for 40 years, he put up with them. And then he walks us through the book of Joshua and Judges and the first part of 1 Samuel. Moses dies. Joshua comes to the scene. They find victory over the seven nations. All this didn't just happen overnight, right? 450 years go off the calendar. Like our nation 
the United States isn't 450 years old. And like we read about years in the Bible and we think 450 years, okay, the next thing. But for 450 years, they're in this journey. They're in this process. And so they have judges. And the the judges that we read about take up the bulk of the, the time in this 450 years. But after the judges, the people kind of complain. They want to be like the other nations and they want a king. And so God gives them a king and his name is Saul. And, and so we read about this man in 1 Samuel 16 when we were introduced to David. He was the king that was on the throne and Saul had no heart for God, no regard for the glory of God, no desire to follow God. And it was very early on in Saul's kingship that the Holy Spirit was taken from Saul and a spirit of torment was given to Saul. And we see it as one king is fading, God is rising another king. And God's spirit, his anointing, is on David, the shepherd boy, who, as a young teenager, was called by God to great things. And David's story begins with a bang, because he slays a giant. He becomes famous. They celebrate him. Saul, who is still king, even though God's spirit is removed, is jealous. And so the rest of 1 Samuel is David running from his life. And we talked about that and all the craziness that went into these seasons and episodes of this manic behavior from a man who was tormented by a spirit from the Lord that wanted to destroy David because of his pride and fear that he would lose his kingdom. But Saul had already lost his kingdom and the Apostle Paul clues the readers in who come from a Jewish background. Right? This is what he says in verse 22. After he had removed him. Who removed Saul? God did. It's God's kingdom. It's God's world. He's the sovereign one. It wasn't like when we read at the end of 1 Samuel when Saul and his sons were killed in battle that the enemies removed Saul. God did. And so... The people asked for a king, he gave them a king, and then he removed that king. And we read in verse 22, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. He found his man. He found his king. The people wanted a king, they got a king. That didn't work out well. But when God supplies and God finds his person, then you see amazing things happen. And so we read that David is called to be their king. A man after God's own heart who will do all my will. Now, 
there's a lot packed into all my will, right? Because David wasn't always doing God's will from our perspective. But from God's perspective in the bigger picture, David was fulfilling God's will in his trust and faith in the goodness of God. And then we read in verse 23, from the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. From the descendants of this man, from David, like in the midst of David's life, he had, he had no understanding of how this was all going to work out, what God was going to do. God didn't say, hey, David, come over here. I'm going to give you the end of the story just so that you can stay closer. God made promises to David, like in 2 Samuel 7, he said to David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. And David's like, good. Hey, every king wanted a throne that was going to last forever. That wasn't going to be taken over. That they weren't going to be expelled. But David didn't quite understand these promises. He didn't see the reality of these promises in his life. But through his line, God will establish his eternal throne. In fact, we know in another passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, that Jesus is promised to be from the root of Jesse. That God always, forever, purposed that his son would come through David's line. Light shined into the darkness to bring restoration, forgiveness, and peace with God. Now, here's the point that we need to consider just at this point in this um, explanation of what Paul was saying. All of the Old Testament, every person that was of faith used by God was part of a journey that God was leading them on to bring Israel a promised deliverer. They didn't understand it in their time, but they believed. That brings us back to Hebrews 11. They didn't see the fulfillment in their lifetime, but they believed. They had faith. David, in this sense, is just a link in the chain. Built on the faith of those who came before him and belonging to the line that will come after him, God used David to advance his promises that will ultimately conclude with God providing salvation for the whole world. And I'm sure David had no understanding in his time of what the full reality of that was going to be. Like David didn't see us in this. But this is part of the fulfillment, right? What we read about David in the Old Testament that is fulfilled and the the promised Savior that is to come in Jesus that we read about in the New Testament finds its reality today in who we are as we identify as followers of Him belonging to the family of God and being a part of His greater purposes. What a thought. Something I don't think David understood until he, while in glory, saw his Savior come to the earth, give his life, and die. 
Now, I want to fast forward for a moment in this passage because it's interesting to note what verse 36 says. So if you have Acts 13 open, let's just go down to verse 36 for a minute. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. Same thing that we read in 2 Kings. David, from Paul's perspective, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. In a very simple way, Paul says that David had his place, but he was never to be the focal point of God's story. Like the Old Testament, for as many chapters that are devoted to David. In fact, when we began our study in David's life in January, I made the comment that there's no other man outside of Jesus that there are so many chapters in the Bible devoted to. That for as amazing David was, it's not about David. It's not about him. It's about the one who is to come from him. David had his place. Paul says he served his purpose. The purpose that God had for him in his own generation. And then he fell asleep. He died. Laid with his fathers. And he underwent decay. Like his body broke down. He lived, fulfilled his purpose, died, and was buried. His purpose, that dash, reminds us that how he lived was it, he lived in such a way that sought to bring glory to God. We know he was far from perfect, but he believed God, and when his life ended, he returned to the Lord. Now, why did all of these people live? What purpose were they living for? Why was God using them? Why does God use us? What is our purpose? Why are we here? What does God want to do through us? Well, let's go back to verse 26. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family. Remember, the synagogue, these people are gathered. Paul is teaching them. Those among you who fear God, to us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And the him is Jesus. And they, and though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now as witnesses to the people. Why did all these people live in faith? Because there was one that was coming. They believed that God was keeping his word and that he was sending someone to rescue them. That he was bringing the Savior. The message of salvation has been sent. It has come. God is communicating to us that it's here. 
Like these people in this time were waiting for something future, a future deliverance, a future Messiah to ride in and rescue them. Paul is saying he's here. He's come. They didn't welcome him. They condemned him. They put him to death. They asked Pilate for permission to be for him to be executed. This was no accident. God had promised that his servant Messiah would suffer. And when they carried out all that was written concerning him, they laid him in the tomb. But the the story doesn't end with a dead savior. He's not in a tomb. I say it again. He's not in a tomb. God raised him from the dead. God did it. He appeared to his disciples in his resurrection. And based on that glorious, wonderful, amazing, never happened before event. The son that was raised. Left us with a message. And we see that in verses 32 and following. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Oh, church, that I, I pray that you know that the message of Jesus is good news. And, and, you know, we use the word good and we think, eh, it was good. It was the best news. It was the most excellent news. It was amazing news. It was, it will change your world news. And Paul goes on. We preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it was also written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. As for the fact that he raised them from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. And what Paul does in this Jewish audience is he brings them through three Old Testament examples. Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, and Psalm 16. To remind his audience that all of the promises in the Old Testament aren't about David, aren't about Isaiah, aren't about the men of the Old Testament. They don't apply to them. They're not for them. But they were all promising in belief by faith that there is one to come and it, it is directing our, their attention towards him. Initially, it may have seemed that these promises were for David, but Paul says that David fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. Paul's argument was that surely God was speaking to someone else. Now, a quick thought on David's future before we move on and and, and wrap things up. And I'm only going to mention it here. I'm going to trust that you can go back and look at these passages. Um, David has something yet for the future. I firmly believe this. Ezekiel 34 and Ezekiel 37 both indicate that in the Messiah's kingdom, in the thousand-year kingdom that Jesus will inaugurate on this earth when he returns, that David will be resurrected. And David will serve with the Messiah in Jerusalem and will be a prince watching over Israel. 
that David, who was once a former king of Israel, Ezekiel says, will rise again and help rule over Israel in the kingdom. And so God's not done yet with that future purpose for him. But he awaits it, that blessed hope. This resurrected Savior named Jesus was raised from the dead by God. And he has accomplished something for those in the synagogue who are Jews and God-fearers and us today. And we read about this in verses 38 and 39. And can I just say this? If you haven't heard anything that I've said to this point, like if you're thinking about the British Open right now because they're playing golf and you're thinking, who's going to win that event? Uh, just don't think about that for, for a second. This is what it's all about in verses 38 and 39. This is the message that they all believed in. This is where we need to rest our hope. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. That's it. That's our message. That's why David lived. That's the purpose that he was used by God. Why? Because through him, one will come that will give freedom to people. That will set their hearts free. And how does he do it? How does God set someone free? He forgives them of their sin. And we know about forgiveness. That when Jesus shed his blood and paid our penalty and died our death. God took the debt of all of our sins and nailed it to the cross and he canceled it. And he removed it. And he cast it into the abyss. It's so great. So marvelous. That in the Old Testament, in the 103rd Psalm, before Jesus even came and did any of it, in faith, the psalmist wrote, as far as the east is from the west, so far I have removed your transgressions from you. The totality of the forgiveness that God gives is... So complete that there should never be a question in our minds. Will God forgive me? He has. And David's purpose was to be a part of that journey by faith to believe that God will send a greater king. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him. And can I just say, if you don't know the forgiveness of Jesus, you can know the forgiveness of Jesus right now. It's not hard. It's not difficult. God doesn't make it impossible. He makes it super simple. Amazingly easy. He invites you to receive that Jesus has done for you what you could never do. And just says, believe in him. Believe in what he has done. 
And as you believe in him, what you are acknowledging is the way that you were living and what you were doing and all the things that you've done that have brought separation. We call it sin, right? Everything we think, say, and do that separates us from the glory of God, breaks his rules, breaks his heart, removes fellowship. That by faith in believing what Jesus has done, we are acknowledging that our lives are not very good on our own, but that we turn away from our old life. And we turn towards Jesus. And we talk about this in the, in the New Testament with the word repentance. That we have faith and we repent. We believe and we turn towards God. And as we do that, God does something amazing. He puts his spirit in us and he forgives us and he restores us and he adopts us and he calls us to be a part of his family. And he invites us not just to a better life for ourselves, but we're going to talk about this next week and moving forward. He invites us to the greater community of faith and he puts us in his church where he is the head. And then he sets us with a purpose and a mission. And he says, listen, that good news that you received that has set your heart on fire, that brings you close to me that kindles something in you that was never there. I want you to share that with everyone else. Because if people that you know, don't know, then they have no peace. They have no forgiveness. They have no love. And he says, I want you to go to them and share that with them. Through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. They're freed from all things. What does the word all mean? Everything. Not some things. All things. This is the only message that matters. The forgiveness of sins. The thoughts, the words, the actions that separate us from God are only forgiven through Jesus. That our lives only find fulfillment and matter when we know the forgiveness that Jesus offers. That our lives, that dash between the two dates of when we're born and when we die, find their only purpose when we receive what Jesus has done on the cross. Not in anything else. That every day, every moment, every opportunity is meant to be lived in the grace that God provides and used to point others to the grace that has been provided through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Perfect One. And so when you think about David, don't just think about what a great man he was, a valiant warrior, a passionate man, king of Israel. Think of him as God wants us to think of him. As a man after his own heart, who believed in faith that God was using him for a greater purpose, to know a greater glory. And as we close this morning, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of meditate on this thought of, of what God wants to do in our lives. We're going to meditate on it through the power of song. Every once in a while, a song comes to mind as I'm preparing. And Brian and I chatted about it this week. And we just thought it would be a good way to to kind of close our service. Um, The words are going to be included. You can sing along if you want. You can just worship along if you want. But the song kind of helps us to remember that our lives are really only vapors. 
Here one minute and gone the next. And what are we going to do with them? And when they end, what's going to be left? I would encourage you, as we look at David, and as we look at the other people of faith, that if you're not living for Jesus Christ, when you die, you might be remembered for one or two more generations, if that. But if you know Jesus, what you do in this life and when you die will last forever. It's eternal. It's not a wasted life. It's a fulfilled life. A life that leaves eternal legacy.